Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, uh, the whole deal. It's brought to you, of course, by Michigan.247sports.com, the Michigan Insider, all one site. Uh, Be sure, if you like what you hear, to check out those articles on our site. We've got 12, 15 articles every single day, so uh, your one-stop shop for everything Michigan sports uh, I'm your host, Zach Shaw. On the phone lines, as always, Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole. We did miss last week uh, with Thanksgiving. There was some schedule conflicts, and so we weren't able to preview Ohio State. But as it turns out, uh, not really probably something people really wanted to listen to that much. It was not a not a great game for Michigan. They lost 31-20, ended the season 8-4. and uh, It already feels like a very long time ago because a lot has happened since then. So we've got a loaded show. And we will get through all of it. We got basketball, uh, you know, transfers, your Big Ten awards, thoughts on thoughts on the season and the game. Uh, lots, lots to tackle. So we'll get to it. But first, uh, we didn't get too many questions this week. We're gonna try to find a new way to get user questions. But Dizzo did want to know if we have seen anything in our lives handled as poorly as the Tennessee coaching situation. And he asked this after Tennessee was 0 for 2 on its coaching candidates. Now they're 0 for 3. Uh, NC State's coach deciding to stay at NC State. So now Tennessee has gone after Greg Schiano. Uh, they, too much too much rioting and protesting. The trustees didn't sign off. And then they went after Brome. But it sounds like they went after Brome before everyone was on board with it. And so now, and so the trustees didn't sign. They said they didn't want to pay him that much, so Tennessee went back with a lighter offer. Anyone who's ever been in a job or you know payment situation knows how that goes. You're not going to say yes if someone comes back and offers you less money. And then they they had their guy from NC State uh, and thought thought it worked, but it turns out NC State likes him and they wanted to pay him more, and he ultimately wanted to stay at NC State. So now they're 0 for three, and. As for the as for the question, have we seen anything worse in our lives? I mean, of course, you know we've seen politicians, uh, even you know people in lives. They were just like completely unprepared. But I will say this: I don't know if I've seen something that was at the surface so easy easy to do. Because Tennessee, it's not the best job, but it's not a bad job, you know. And it's not like there's a shortage of information here. Like usually. If people really screw up and are really ill-prepared, it was probably because no one had done it before or no one was really sure what to expect or they didn't have the information. It's I'm not trying to say it's easy, but it's not especially hard to find a football coach when you're a football-dominant, historically good powerhouse like Tennessee is. I mean, it's kind of like... I mean, you, most years, everyone knows who the top priority is and they go get him. And this is a weird situation where Tennessee has had three guys, none of which the fans wanted, none of which were likely the best options, and they and they pursued so far into it too. Like they just like made critical AD errors, and here they are with no coach, and now the entire nation, and we're we're spending more time talking about Tennessee than we probably ever will. And the, I mean, the entire nation is just kind of laughing at Tennessee's face and that, and now, and Steve, I think you mentioned this on Sunday, they're in a situation where other coaching targets, they don't want to be a part of this. 
No, I mean, here's okay. I'm just gonna say I'm gonna get this one out of the way real quick. So, whether or not you think Greg Schiano was qualified uh, is debatable, but you see the reaction to Dave Doran emerging as a candidate, and it became obvious, very, very obvious that the uh, Tennessee's their the fan base's self righteousness about the Sandusky stuff with Penn State was just a mask for them not wanting uh, somebody that they viewed as an inferior candidate to take over that, that job. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's really that self-righteous part of it is really, it just kind of sickens you a little bit. Um, they, they're getting what they deserve, or at least at this point, in my opinion, um, the, the t- pitchfork crowd, I get it. Tennessee's been down for a while. Tennessee, in my opinion, still, I still think it's a top 15 job. I mean, it's one of the best, one of the biggest stadiums in the country. I was just reading the other day that I think, even now, or at least as of a couple of years ago, uh, they were one of the two or three most profitable athletic departments uh, and football programs in the country. Uh, so there's that, you know, massive fan base, uh, tons of rich tradition, rich history. I know, you know, they, it's one of those things where, like, you know, a program that's been down, like, I guess I look at, like, Nebraska in the same way, although, you know, we'll see if Nebra- what Nebraska, if they can ever – uh, get back to where they were, but I think Tennessee's a school with a better shot to do that, just because of uh, the profitability and and the the donors and boosters. It sounds like there's a lot more money there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when you're begging Lane Kiffin to come back, uh, whether he's he might, I mean, who knows? Maybe at this point he is qualified to coach there again. Um, but just the way that ended uh, for them to be now kind of begging him to come back. And he appearing to have the time of his life in trolling Tennessee about that, uh, it's it's a joke, man. But like I said, I I, I want to feel bad for Tennessee fans, but the, like I said, the the way that the Shiano thing all went down, and then seeing them react the same way to Dave Doran, who obviously didn't have the, we'll call it baggage, I guess that Shiano reportedly has, is is a clear indicator that that they just aren't weren't happy with who it was and um you know view the job as maybe better than what it really is you know but this so here's the thing you guys go back when you're telling yourself you're going to get john gruden this is what happens so michigan didn't you know i wondered you know what would happen at michigan if if harbaugh had turned michigan down again um or turned him down i don't remember if he turned him down in the first back in the day or not but either way like if if Michigan had flirted with Harbaugh, the fan base had convinced themselves he was coming, and then he didn't. Everyone would have been a disappointment, right? Yeah. Would something of similar have happened? You know, you can't rule that out. You see how some Michigan fans are, many Michigan fans are. So, um, so in that regard, it stinks for them. But like I said, they've brought it on themselves at this point. Uh, whether you're the whether whether it's the way the AD has handled it, the way the fans have handled it, um, you know, I think they've brought it on themselves at this point. What do you think, Isaiah? You you ever seen anything more botched? I mean, aside from this Toys R Us bankruptcy situation, uh, not really. It's it, it definitely not in college football that I can recall. It, it's just it's it's a, unbelievable to me. All this all the same things that Steve said, but on, you know, on top of that, it the fact that they really were just so gung ho about you know Gruden and all the groomers and all of that that just seemed like. I didn't understand why there was so much adamance to try to get a guy who that hasn't coached in a very, very long time, hasn't coached at the college level in an extremely long time, 
And, you know, in my opinion, and as someone who's like was kind of a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan for uh, a bit of his tenure, uh, I I was solely paying attention to them the year they won the Super Bowl from the beginning of the season through the Super Bowl. They were my number one team from, you know, kickoff in the first game till they won it all. And Gruden, to me, was never he's not the coach that people want to say he is, you know, he had a middling effect after the fact. And, you know, that like they they kind of treated him like he was their Harbaugh when it kind of was like, well, you know, what, what are, what are his real ties there? Is mm-hmm. it, I understand they want a winner. They want someone that's going to be able to take them to that next level, but there's nothing in what he's been able to do as a coach that, has shown that he's necessarily the guy to do do that. Yeah. I understand you want some excitement to build around your program. You want to get someone that's going to that it you, you want to be able to get the guy that no one thought you were going to be able to get, kind of like Michigan with Harbaugh, but Harbaugh at least had, had like a recent track record whereas Tennessee didn't. And it is it is really disappointing considering what they've gone through. Now, I I think that any of those three coaches that they could have gotten we're quality guys. I think that the biggest one being Jeff Brome, and I still couldn't believe when you saw so many people decrying the possibility of hiring Jeff Brome. <laughs> yeah. Off of Twitter, the guy made, I know it was only a six and six season and everything, but the guy made Purdue respectable again in one year. Mm-hmm. That's six and six at Purdue is like six and six at Purdue's like 10, 10 and two, two anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, exactly. Yeah. What, no. His job was amazing. Right. And Dave Dorn at NC State has done a phenomenal job. There's the reason why, you know, we were picking NC State, you know, in our picks a lot this year. I know I was picking NC State a lot this year, uh, and it was all due to Dave Dorn. Going into the season, there, there was a thought of Dave Dorn could be fired at the end of, of the season, and it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the kind of coaching job he's done. And now, now look at it. You know, it's he's staying put in NC State because he's again they want to keep him. Tennessee's got to got to start thinking a little bit more critically because that that you know they, that's how you end up with what you know the guy they actually already have. That's how you end up with Brady Hoke. Well, and like even is, it's just they're botching everything, right? Because like I I just looked up a list of like the ten top candidates. I mean, I still think a lot of these guys would come. You know, uh, Memphis's coach is is yeah. I'm not hearing his name, Mike Norvell. He'd be good. I mean, honestly, you know, T. Martin. I I don't think they're. It's so weird because they've screwed everything up. But I don't know if they're like like there's still guys out there. And and what what kills me is that they hired Chiano to a point of a memorandum memorandum of understanding, and they didn't put out a feeler to see what the fans would say. You know, they did. It's just like a weird lack of communication because. Yeah, I mean Tennessee. I get they're they're maybe a little ambitious, although I really think they just want someone who's going to be like kind of a move the needle Harbaugh type. And I think there are still guys out there that will do that and probably still will go to Tennessee. But this lack of communication is just nuts. So I mean, it's just like yeah, I like woke up Sunday morning. I was like, they already hired him. They didn't even like try to see what people would think because that's what you do. You leak the information and see what the reaction is, see if that's going to be something that's going to work. And I mean, cause like most teams are, aren't going to get a Harbaugh type. I mean, Harbaugh, 
He was hired and like immediately $50 million in donations were lining up. You know, people talk about how much money he makes, but you know what? He's, he's still worth it because people are still lining up uh, to fund what he can do. And so I don't know. It's just like, it's just so many mental mind numbing mental mistakes. Like just make sure everyone's on board before you offer an exorbitant amount of money. Make sure your fan base is not going to be rioting in the streets if you hire somebody. And I don't think they should necessarily listen all the time. And I thought maybe with Doran, they were just going to put their foot down and say, we want this. And, you know, if fans want to pick it, they can pick it. Uh, it's just mind-numbing. But it also we're also seeing a trend this season. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. There seems like that people are rushing hires a little bit more. I mean, Arizona State got Herm Edwards Similar to Gruden, hasn't coached in a long time. Maybe he moves the needle, but at the same time, it's not like he's he's never been a college head coach. He hasn't coached anybody since 2008. And, you know, a couple a couple of the faster hires, like Oregon State getting their former star quarterback uh, who's young and was Washington's offensive coordinator. That's one thing, you know, but it seems like people are rushing a little bit. And, I mean, and we're about to see... I think I think we're just getting started. It sounds like Florida State is going to be on the market for a coach. And so I'm curious what you guys think, like which teams do you think are doing things the right way? Which teams, uh, in addition to Tennessee, are really screwing it up? We can start with Isaiah. Uh, what, sorry, what was the question again? That the, yeah, I, I kind of got lost in uh, all of that. <laughs> oh, well, it seems like a lot of schools are screwing up. Tennessee's not the only one, but it seems like some schools are, are – playing things the right way with this new signing period and also just seeing how many teams are on the market. I guess, what is the right course of action? Are any schools doing things right or is everyone screwing up? I mean, I, I, I don't know, especially because as far as like, like what you say about the new signing period and everything, that's we're, we're going to see how that goes. Uh, I, I get it. You, you look at, what supposedly is going to go down some point today with uh, Jimbo Fisher going to Texas A&M. Rumor is that he hasn't been recruiting at all uh, in the last month. To to me, like you, you see things like that, and that, that does make you wonder what's going on, just kind of in general. Uh, the fact that he's even considered, you know, considered a move. And I, you understand that particular situation probably a little bit better. They they fell off a cliff with the uh, the injury to DeAndre Francois right off the bat. Fan base was really you know restless. Uh, but that really the fan base being restless that that is something that's gotten to be in my opinion a little bit more out of control these last few years. Look at look at the Michigan fan base with Harbaugh. I don't think I don't think the most reasonable fans. Are saying anything, but you still see a relatively sizable portion of, I, I would guess, just the loudest voices in the room that are just angry at that he hasn't done better. So it, it does maybe seem to be kind of, in a way, like you talked about the communication of it all. It, I, I feel like things aren't being effectively communicated between programs fan bases in a lot of ways and that causes a lot of uh unrealistic expectations and you know michigan's definitely one of them that would fall into that category because you always hear like well we're you know we heard all year 
we're young. There's no excuse to, you know, though, for us to not be better. And then they're not, you know, they're not any better than the predictions and everyone gets angry. So then you look at like Florida state, you know, they, they have you know, the most important player at the most important position go down and they're unable to kind of keep things together. And again, I think that's, that's just for poor communication between the program and the, uh, and the fan base, because the fan base, you know, obviously wants more and deserves more. So that, you know, you have this wide gap between the two and that's what, what ends up getting coach is fired. That's what ends up getting, getting, uh, making it so that your pro, you know, fans riot based off of the idea that they're not getting the, the right guy, even though the program like Tennessee looked like they were, you know, could have gotten three actually really good candidates. So mm-hmm. I don't really know when it comes to like, col- you know, college football at large, especially with some of those things like the the new signing period. We'll find out what that's going to be like here for the first time in a matter of weeks. But it does seem like there's just a, ma- a massive amount of disarray just kind of in general because you see the Sabins of the world able to go out and win as much as they do. And then there's an automatic comparison. Well, Saban did this in year three. Saban did this in year four. He, yes, that's true. And he did that at Alabama, but he didn't do that at LSU necessarily. He didn't do that at MSU necessarily. Everything doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's inheriting the same, same players and everything like that. And certain certain situations need to you know be given a certain amount of consideration for what the actual process of winning is mm-hmm. because it's different you know no matter where you go. Steve, I I want to hear your thoughts on this, and I also want to add because you know when Isaiah was talking about this, there is that point that Michigan, you know, while these other schools that they're recruiting against, uh, Michigan's looking pretty stable right now, and and I know there will always be the occasional floating rumor of. Harbaugh to the NFL or something of that nature. But, you know, with some of these schools that Michigan's going toe-to-toe against in recruiting, does is Michigan benefiting from what seems like kind of a messy coaching carousel that, that might get even even messier? I mean, Florida State could pluck somebody that's pretty good from somewhere and, and things like that. I mean, I, I know you're not going to see it yet, and I'm not going to ask you which recruits, but do recruits look at how fans – and programs kind of treat coaches and kind of treat these sort of situations at all when they're considering schools? I mean, I'm, I mean, this, so this Tennessee case is just unique, right? So I it will, that'll be a good indicator to find out if that's the case or not. Um, I can't imagine it's helping. Um, yeah. Michigan's in a good spot right now. Stability wise. Uh, yeah. With the Jimbo Fisher stuff. I mean, a lot of people think Willie Taggart might be, might leave Oregon after one year and take that Florida state job. If, if Fisher does in fact leave, which it looks like he's going to, um, you know, but as far as how the recruits and stuff will react to the fan base, uh, it's going to be interesting. This is kind of a litmus test because you've never, we've never seen anything like what happened, what's happened at Tennessee over the last week or so. So, I mean, as far as the carousel in general, Two best, I mean, Mississippi State just sneaks in and makes maybe the best hire of all. That's what's so funny about this whole yep. thing is, you know, they got, they, they, no drama, no BS. They just go in, they hire Joe Moorhead, who, in my opinion, is the primary driver behind Penn State's success the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they, get him, they get him for cheap. 
And uh, Moorhead was smart enough to want to focus more on getting a staff that's higher paid and not so much about lining his pockets as much as, hey, let's put more money towards, you know, bringing in the best staff possible. So, you know, that's kind of the ironic thing to me about this whole thing is that the one school that's kind of been uh, had, was never really talked a lot about or there wasn't really any dramatics after Mullen left. They just go in and hire him, uh, a guy who who also – uh, offensively, his style fits the personnel that they already have on their roster. So uh, I think that's going to be a, I think Mississippi State is a huge winner. Uh, mm-hmm. I think UCLA, I think UCLA with Chip Kelly is a huge winner too. Uh, I'm really interested to see what he does in the Pac 12. He's already got a perfect quarterback for his system in Dorian Thompson Robinson. I know Michigan fans aware of that name. Uh, I actually kind of think that Texas A&M might end up as a, I'm I'm torn on Jimbo Fisher. So, you know, Florida State season went downhill after they lost their starting quarterback. I mean, they had a true freshman quarterback all year long, kind of similar to Michigan where uh, not so much with the true freshman quarterback a little bit, but they had an offensive line that was very inconsistent, not very good, very inexperienced. Uh, so I'm interested. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher for A&M might be an interesting fit. He's a Louisiana native. He's recruited Texas a lot. So uh, that one will be kind of interesting. The Herm Edwards hire, I mean, who the hell knows there? I don't I don't really even know what to think about that. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess if you're Arizona State, you have to be – like schools like that where there are resources available to win, um, you have to take a shot like that, I guess. Uh, I still think it's a peculiar fit. You know, with Edwards, it's been, what would we say, like 25 years or something since he's been in the college game, period, or whatever. Yeah, and he was an assistant um, at San Jose State, so. Yeah, you know, and it's like, give Lovey Smith some time at Illinois, maybe, but it's not like that's worked out really well so far. Uh, and Lovey Smith play, uh, coaching the Super Bowl, you know, it's not, he's no slouch at coaching. Uh, it's just, you know, that'll be a kind of a peculiar fit. And then, uh, but I do agree though with, I think Zach, you'd mentioned it. I, I do actually think that Tennessee ends up getting like a decent coach. Like I think they get a decent guy, like a guy that their fans will, will be satisfied with. Uh, it's just a matter of who, um, but it's definitely because of the first signing period though. That's why all this is happening so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no other, there's no other explanation, no other reason for a coach to leave his team in the midst of bowl preparation either in some of these instances. So um, you know, granted, we haven't seen a lot of that, but well, like Joe Moorhead though, to leave, you know, his, if you're him, you're like, well, you know, I got to take it now and try to get some of some of these guys that are committed signed, you know, I had, it, yeah. It, it well, teams stinks, want that too. Yeah. Yeah. It stinks, you know, because I'm, I guarantee you a guy like more, I guarantee he'd prefer to coach Penn state in whatever bowl game they play. And I'd be shy, you know, I guarantee it, but it's, you're going to hurt if you don't, take that December signing period and get as many of those guys reeled in as you possibly can. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, that's like the overarching theme of the whole carousel is that I think Mississippi state has been the, maybe the biggest winner along with UCLA. And it was the most least dramatic hire uh, of the process. In my opinion, I do think that Dan Mullen at Florida will be a really good fit too, though. I mean that, yeah. I think that was a nice, I think that was a nice move for him. He's done a really good job at miss. I mean, Mississippi state probably, Miles what, better than it of, was. Right. And outside of what maybe Vandy might be the toughest program in the SEC to, you know, I mean, at least, and at least Vandy has the academics like Starkville's a bore. 
They're not a good academic program. Um, it's just not an easy place to win football games, and, and he did it pretty consistently. So when they have to I share the Florida state. Ma- yeah, no, it's yeah, exactly. And uh, Moorhead comes in at a really good time with whatever it looks like is going to happen to Ole Miss too. So uh, he really could take that job and run with it. So that'll be a team I'm really interested to see. But like I said, I also think that uh, Mullen is a great fit. I mean, he's got the history at Florida. Uh, he's done a great job developing quarterbacks over the. I mean, look at Dak Prescott. He was coach Tebow when he was at Florida Nick Fitzgerald looks like a guy who's going to eventually uh, play some significant football so um, you know I, I think they made out pretty well too yeah 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 it's weird because like I feel like Mississippi State almost got an upgrade but I also feel like Florida got an upgrade so yeah you're right that little train has is is good yeah Tennessee it's like just call up Norvell call up T Martin get a young guy maybe unproven but just Get, you know, get somebody too, because you know that state. Justin Fuente. What about Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech? I don't know what he's making there, but yeah, I mean he's done a pretty good job over there. I think he's a guy. Uh, I would. I think we. You know, Virginia Tech's got a pretty good history of their own, but I would still argue. You know, Tennessee job probably better than Virginia Tech job at the end of the day. But um, yeah, probably. I agree. They, they've they've made it way too hard, Zach. Right? I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much what it comes down to. Yeah, so. it's just they rushed it. They didn't talk to anybody. Curry's probably cost himself a job, honestly. I don't I don't know how he survives this unless something crazy happens. Anyway, enough about the national coaching search. Uh, we can talk about something very recent, more recent even than the football team, but Michigan's basketball team, 6-1 start against the 321st toughest schedule, and then they go down to North Carolina. I don't think anybody expected them to win. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected that either. Maybe maybe some true pessimistic uh, naysayers out there, but they trailed by as much as 29. They could have easily lost by 50 or 60 if North Carolina had not put in the bench, uh, a game that, that completely went wrong uh, defensively. I mean, they gave up 1.5 points per possession uh, in, the, in the first half. I mean, that's just to give, give you know, non-tempo free stat heads a, a reference you want about a, a winning team will score about one point per possession so they were doing 50 percent better than like a typical successful team would do and so a defense like generally one point per possession is like your barometer for whether your defense did good or bad so uh horrific defense the shooting you know it, it started out hot and it ended all right you know once the game was out of hand but that middle stretch uh when they were outscored 31 to 7. They were down by 2 and and there was like that freak play and Duncan Robinson had a wide open fast break layup and he missed it and then from there North Carolina went on a 31-7 run to take a 29 point lead. I mean it's just in in we've seen this before. You know, this isn't a sky is falling sentiment. This isn't a Michigan's not going to make the NCAA tournament sentiment. I mean the Tar Heels, their banner is still... They haven't collected any dust in their championship banner. Jill Barry and Luke May were a big part of that. You know, they're they're a top 10, top 15 team for a reason. But I think, I think it was a pretty stern reminder that Michigan is, is not... They can't just walk into the tournament. I don't think they're going to be... Maybe next season... And the season after that, they will be because of those two recruiting classes. But this is still a team that 
has some serious holes, you know, as as is going to have to probably scratch and claw to make it in. Um, you know, but the so I don't know. Uh Steve, did you watch the game? Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, two biggest things to me that stood out. Uh you know, I, I feel like this is gonna kinda keep going as the season goes on, but I just feel like the offense I know he didn't necessarily play well yesterday, but I still think Eli Brooks is the best of the three right now at point guard. Um, you know, Simpson just doesn't do enough offensively. He kind of reminds me of like Tum Tum Nairn at Michigan State. Um, just a liability from outside and and is way, way too heavy pass first uh, to keep defenses honest. I thought that was evident again yesterday um you know here's the thing though i'm still not writing off jaron simmons i think simmons is just a guy that well he's clearly not himself though right right and that's what i mean like i i think i i don't think that story is has been written yet i think he's still got is going to have a say in this thing which actually in a way uh speaks a lot to how quickly eli brooks has been able to acclimate himself Mm -hmm. um i know Beeline continuously told him throughout his recruitment that he was a guy they thought could play right away, and he's kind of proven that. Um, so is that was, and this kind of segues in the other. So is Isaiah Livers, though. I think Livers has been great. I think he's a good fit. He's a perfect fit in the offense. He's he's starting to figure it out, and he's figuring it out quickly. I think Duncan Robinson is his massive struggles are really really hurting the team. He's not good enough defensively to. Uh, offset when he's not shooting the ball well. Mm, yeah, and I know. Some, I know some people on our. I, I saw there was a thread on our board about it, and I actually pretty much agreed. Is that Robinson may be best suited to come off the bench? Um, at least at at this point, I just don't. His shortcomings shine through even more when he's not. Act. He's not uh, shooting the ball well. Not playing good offensive. Good offensive basketball. So that's. You know, those are the two big things that stood out to me yesterday. Because um, here's the thing, and Rockman was another was yeah. Very I was gonna say yep, yesterday. Yep. They had two seniors. Um, they shot two for twelve, and right. they had and to be benched because they were not doing it. I here's I guess I, here's the way I look at it. You got two. I think I think we could argue right now that Charles Matthews is I don't know like star level, but close. He's he's. The, he's showing more in the Big Ten. Than, I think he is. I think he'll be one of the top right. ten players in the Big Ten. Right. I think, and we're seeing more flashes of that than him not. I think Rock, but like I always look at every team uh, as like there's always that guy. It's like you say if this if so and so plays well, they're a different team guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's clearly Rockman on this team. I think he can be. He's the straw that stirs the drink. I think the biggest reason why, and Matthews can do it too, but. Rockman is excellent at creating his own shot in the lane. Um, I don't like seeing him go one for six and four of those six shots be outside the arc. I think he's a guy that is is very creative in the lane and can help really stretch things out or actually pack things in defensively and give some other guys some open shots. So um, I feel a lot of I feel you look back I, I feel pretty similar about this team that I do about last year's team. Like you can see it. And I just think it's going to be just sort of a process throughout the season. Uh, really, the the thing will be, can they stay afloat 
long enough yeah, to make sure their schedule that they can... is not a is not a wait and see schedule. Yeah, that and that's the problem. That's the difference from last year. I kind of feel like uh, is can they stay afloat long enough to make a run at being a tournament team? Because my this is what I think. I think by the time February comes around, I almost bet anything that they'll be playing like a tournament level team. Yes. The question will be where will their resume be at that point? That's what the issue is. So um, and just like last year when they gave away that game to Virginia Tech, um, that LSU loss you know, down the road could be something that's going to hurt them. So well, yeah. And the result that they had to play Chaminade, which isn't going to count like the NCAA tournament's just going to say you didn't play a game. Exactly. So, so not helping themselves, but I, I mean, again, I didn't expect them to win yesterday. I also expected North Carolina to just absolutely shoot the lights out after they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn against mm-hmm. uh, Michigan state. So uh, yeah, but I agree with you. I think it went worse than I thought, but I, no expectation they were going to win that game. So, um, but Rockman needs to step up, obviously. And and I think, you know, I think Isaiah Livers is is really making a case to enter the starting five. Yeah, um, I I want to see more from from Isaiah. I think Saturday and Sunday or Saturday and Monday, uh, if if he if he continues to play well, because I I wasn't blown away. I am in the camp that I think Livers probably needs to be your four, and I would almost like to see. Uh, I think I think their best lineup right now, and I, I agree with you that Eli Brooks has looked best at point guard, but I almost think Muhammad should play point, put Charles at the two, Duncan at the three, and Livers at the four, and obviously Mo Wagner at the five. Like I almost think that's that's their okay. you know two I'd minutes okay left, you got to win the game to save your season. I almost think that's your best lineup, and and so. Yeah, as far as Muhammad, I don't mind him trying to work his three point game back. Because he shot 38% last season on 111 attempts. You know, he shot 36% the season before on 83 attempts. And so I, he he is a guy who has vastly improved his three-point shooting. I think he can be a 38, 39% three-point shooter, uh, right? But right now he's at 24. And those points have made a huge difference in, in Michigan's two losses. And, and as far as Duncan... You know, I I'm not sure I'm not sure about benching him, but I think they they need to do something. I I mean, you you hate to give Charles Matthews the Zach Irvin treatment and make him guard the four, uh, but they did that two seasons ago when they were looking like they weren't going to make the tournament, and you know after Lavert went down, and and it actually kind of worked. You know, they had Duncan guard the three and Zach Irvin guard the four. I don't know if Charles Matthews is deserves that, but he is their best defender uh, as far as guys that aren't Xavier Simpson, and so so we'll see. I I, I think Indiana and Ohio State are really beatable. Uh, it's just and and I don't think they they don't have the athletes because what really struck me about the defensive issues on on uh, or yesterday was that it seemed like Michigan was really nervous playing defense and and I mean that in the sense that like they were every single player thought their player was going to be the one to hit the three or to dunk all over them and what happened was it was not really so much of a team defense as it was individual and North Carolina they moved the ball they're way too athletic to guard you know I mean you can guard them man to man but there needs to be help there needs to be better communication a better sense of where you are on the court and so that's 
you know, that with the the three point shooting issues is is just. I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna result in losses, and we hate to. You know, I'm not trying to say, you know, the season's over. It's not. It's not like college football. You know, even the best teams are gonna lose half a dozen games. I still think Michigan's probably gonna lose. I think I project them to lose ten games in the regular season, uh, way back in in August. So, you know, this was this was gonna be one of those losses, and perhaps it's a benefit to have you know Jordan Poole, Isaiah Livers, Eli Brooks get to play as many minutes as they did as opposed to it being a little closer and maybe those guys don't get a shot. But I think I think this weekend will tell us a lot in how they can respond and, and actually how good they are. Because I think Michigan, they're probably a, a around 50th, as far as 50th best team right now with a ceiling that's in the top 20. Uh, it's just they got to they gotta get there, and it doesn't happen overnight. Anyway, moving, moving on to football. Uh, hey, real quick. Oh, back. yeah. Would we agree then? I mean, Brooks, like, is Simpson running third in the point guard race, in your opinion, at least? Uh, at this point? I've seen I've seen more from Simpson than I have from Simmons. I but, but we think Simmons is on his way back up though at some point, right? That this is sort of a funk he's in. I I think it might be a, a wait until January thing though, because okay. I, I think because yeah. it's not just that like like because he he's a very natural scorer, he's a very natural distributor. And it just nothing looks natural, and I mean we don't get to go to practices, but I'm kind of getting the sense that he is, he is just struggling. It's just they they threw. I mean, because you know Derek Walton and Trey Burke both said they didn't really understand Beeline's offense until they were sophomores, and Simmons is at the disadvantage where he also has a lot of old habits, and I think right. I think I almost wonder if the coaches were like. A throwing too much on him and B trying to change him too much at first because you know Beeline mentioned even like a simple thing like like Simmons always takes the ball up the middle of the court because that's what he's always played a very traditional old school basketball point guard where it's like you walk you always take the ball up you always walk it up the middle whereas you'll see someone like Brooks he'll be you know coming up the side and he'll be like feeding off Muhammad so yeah I think it's it's more of a it's more of a uh, like situation where he's just trying to relearn old habits, and I so I, to me, I think he's January, and I think Xavier Simpson's got about a month here to to show that he he can reassert himself because he has looked good, you know. And Brooks, yeah, I don't I don't think a lineup with Brooks and Simpson at the same time to try to play off each other's weaknesses would be the worst thing in the world either. Anyway. We'll keep talking basketball uh, all winter, and we'll have lots of lots of coverage. I think we're probably writing more basketball stories than anyone else if people are interested in that sort of thing. So, moving on, uh, Michigan did play Ohio State this weekend. I, I we're we're almost forty minutes in, and we haven't discussed it. And so we're gonna try to try to combine some stuff. I know Steve has has a lot to say about the officiating. Uh, I think Isaiah has stuff to say about it as well. And so I want to hear. Uh, we're, we're, what, five days removed. My question will be, what still irks you about that game? And so you can say multiple things. It can be one thing that really irks you. Uh, we'll let, uh, well, Isaiah hasn't talked in a while, so we'll let him go first. And Steve, I know you've got your, your piece about the officiating. But Isaiah, five days removed, what still irks you about that game? 
Um, well, I didn't want to steal any Steve's thunder, so I'll try to keep keep my thoughts there at a minimum. Um, what really, I mean, it, it, it it's hard for me to say outside of some of the holding, you know, non-holding calls that there's a lot that irks me. I thought Michigan's game plan was really phenomenal. Uh, obviously, it was an execution issue. Uh, they weren't able to execute what was called. I don't think that that's that's not on the coaches, uh, you know. And I'm I'm not trying to throw John O'Corn under the bus there, but obviously that was on him. But we don't need to rehash that part because obviously we've been through that. Uh, just kind of in general, uh, the fan base has been through that in general. Uh, but yeah, like just on the on those particular calls like the uh i should say again non-calls you have those instances where like the the one touchdown was a pretty clear hold on maurice hurst uh that's just been a theme with this particular michigan team we i wrote about it on monday about just how uh, there's that stat going around that michigan's defense has only been called uh it's only gotten the benefactor of two holding calls in the last two seasons the defensive line that's just appalling to me and in a game like this where there were a few just pretty obvious calls that could have been made, they just weren't. Uh, now, obviously, you just got to try to play through that. Uh, that was one of the things that, like, Rashawn Gary said on Monday, he just really didn't have a comment on it. So I don't really know what you do in that case. But I can understand, you know, a lot of the frustration when it comes to that. Uh, aside from that, I mean – I think that the biggest thing that irks me is not actually game related. It's just more of just the vitriol that gets thrown towards the players uh, and the coaching staff in the wake of a loss. It, it's a game that probably no one thought that Michigan was going to win going, you know, going into the game. Uh, I know I talked to some of the former, some former players on the sideline before the game. They didn't think Michigan had a, had a shot. I don't think any of us picked Michigan to win, uh, win this game. Michigan's on their third, you know, their third string quarterback, they don't have their top wide receiver. They have all these different guys that, you know, aren't playing and they still made a game of it. I, to me, like that should actually, that's a sign of progress. The fact that they didn't get blown out in that game, the fact that the game was closer than the 11 point loss and it ended up actually being, I'm not saying that Michigan fans should be happy because obviously you want to be able to beat Ohio state, but it's situational and you have to understand we, you know, what the obstacles are going into a game like that. Uh, Ohio state is still the king of the mountain. It's, it's a process to get to that point. Like you listen to, uh, you know, other radio, local radio shows and they just go and say, well, Harbaugh's a disappointment one five, blah, blah, blah. blah. But it's the same, same coach and same team that he took over that People said he didn't have a shot until like year four, and then you look at all the issues that they had, you know, this year, particularly with the injuries and everything. The fact that there was still an eight and four team, still pretty incredible in my eyes, and it was really upsetting afterwards to go on, you know, Facebook Live and you know be having these uh, having these guys really emotional and talking about you know what they could have done to uh, to try to stave off the loss of the defense. The defensive players we talked to, like Mike McRae and Chase Winovich, they both said, like, hey, we shouldn't have let them score 31 points. I, I agree with that. They don't get a pass for that, but they 
the, the amount of vitriol that was going towards, particularly John O'Corn, a little bit that I've seen going towards Josh Metellus, that's just inexcusable in my eyes. So that's, that's what irks me a little bit more is just kind of the, the reaction from the louder voices out there. And uh, I'll let Steve at least take the take the reins when it comes to the officiating, and I'll follow up on that one. Yeah, Steve, so I guess you looked into it closely, and, and uh, it just <laughs> reasserted your thoughts on, on the officiating. Right. So I guess, like, I'd start it like this. We just get done talking about Michigan's been called for two uh, – or off, opposing offensive lines have been called for two holding calls. Is that in the last two years, Isaiah? Yeah, the last yeah, two years. And then you see on third down, Ben Bredesen is called for a incredibly, an incredibly questionable holding call from a judge 35 yards downfield from a weird angle. Um, I think that's where it gets a little bit frustrating. Uh, my biggest thing was this. For the second straight year against Ohio State, it was – it's not that there's like some funky calls. I mean, I think, think that's part of the game. I, even in the Wisconsin game, there were a few uh, pretty iffy calls, uh, non-holdings uh, all day in that game uh, for the Michigan defensive line. It's the it's the pivotal points that the calls are being made. Uh, I can't. I mean, I, I can't even remember the. I, I had it. It was like six third downs where either a non-call, I think the Haskins scramble where Hurst was so obviously held was on third down. Uh, that's a pivotal call. I think the Denzel Ward hold on Donovan Peoples-Jones, which, you know, you watch enough games on TV and what does every analyst say? The referees are looking to see that. They're looking for that far shoulder as far as pass interference or holding, they're looking for that far shoulder. And when you can see the tail end of people, Jones last name, when he's facing forward, uh, I just don't know how much more obvious a holding call can get again on third down. And then, and I don't think this was really, I think it was probably inconsequential at the end of the day, but the O'Corn spot was one of the most, like mind-blowingly bad calls that I've ever seen. Um, to to actually review it too, and to come to the same conclusion, you'd have to be like borderline like blind to miss that call. Again, my point is this: I don't know if he would have gotten the first down. I think it was close, but the fact that they didn't even respot the ball at all is just—I mean, it's insanity. I mean, the ball's further than where they spotted it before his foot even hovers over the out-of-bounds spot. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, the one, it's the one spot that I do feel for fans. Uh, I think the last two years in this game, I think the officiating has been incredibly poor. Um, you know, Michigan has not gotten any breaks. I go back to, the, to last year's game, and I know the spot is the one that everyone points to. I still point to the no-call on Grant Perry. Uh, pass interference again on third down uh, as one of the worst non-calls that I can remember and it happened at literally the most pivotal point in the game to that point Michigan had to kick a 45 yard field goal uh, you know Kenny Allen and then they would lose uh, on the next drive because in partly in partially partially due to that spot whether you agree what you know whether it was he was there or whatever um, you know it's been 
beaten down continuously. But, um, you know, I, if I'm a Michigan fan, I get it. 13 or 14 years. I know when I was at Michigan, I was part of the first four-year class to never beat Ohio State, uh, which was in 04, which is when this 13 of 14 year streak started. You know, it's been a really long road. Uh, I, w- I would just say this. I'd say for the second straight year, I thought Michigan's coaching staff completely outcoached Ohio State. I think if Michigan had even remotely competent quarterback play on Saturday that they would have won the game running away. And that's that's what's coming uh, between whether it's Brandon Peters, Dylan McCaffrey, whoever. Um, it, it was going to, it's going to, it was going to take a little bit of time. I still think 2015 may have skewed expectations uh, a little bit too much. Winning 10 games that year with a so-so roster, I think was really impressive. Um, but I mean, that's my, those are my biggest takeaways from the game. I thought, you know, I thought the officiating was horrible again, again, it it's hard. You try to be objective. And I feel like that. I, I do feel like that's a completely objective call. I mean, you just listen to Joel Klatt throughout the game. Uh, I know he's kind of a guy who likes Harbaugh. He's made that pretty clear. Uh, but but if you watch the telecast, I mean, he pretty much was calling it out on all of these questionable calls that went against Michigan. Um, he seems like one of the most objective analysts out there, in my opinion. So makes it a little more comfortable to feel that way. But uh, I think it's totally objective to say the officiating was terrible. And then, you know, the, my second biggest takeaway for fans is – that Michigan did, they did, they completely outcoached Ohio State. I, I feel like they beat Ohio State at, at virtually every position except the most important one, which is quarterback, and that was obviously the difference in the game. So, uh, and that's where, you know, Michigan's quarterback room going forward. I don't think we'll ever see Michigan's quarterback position play as poorly as it did this season. So, I think those are those are things that Michigan fans can kind of take, and. uh take some comfort in. I do totally, by the way, I hundred percent. I agree, agree with Isaiah about the self-loathing self-loathing part of the fan base that wants to project their inadequacies on the players uh, after they're upset that their team didn't perform to their personal expectations. Uh, that was, that's, that's what been, irks me the most by far. Yeah, no, we've been going, we've been going through that for so long now. It's just, you know, it's just the way it is. I think the players have probably gotten used to it for the most part. I know it can get, frustrating like in the immediate aftermath um but you know there are always going to be just not to get too like deep here but there are always going to be people who aren't happy in their own life so they have to like they you know and then they look to something like michigan football for happiness so when it doesn't go the way they want it to go their reaction is to you know take it out on whoever they feel is responsible um, you know, John O'Corn was the primary reason Michigan lost that game. There's no doubt about it. It doesn't mean that John O'Corn deserves any of the, <laughs> or that like he like tried to lose. Uh, yeah. It's it, yeah. How about he's this? well aware of, of how, of, of where his inadequacies were in the game. He doesn't need people to remind him, I think is the best way to put, put that particular instance. Mm-hmm. He, could, he couldn't have handled the loss any better. He could not have taken any more responsibility for it personally. And then you see things like, you know, I think there was a guy in MGO blog had posted, uh, John O'Corn was the only current football player on the team to show up to the uh, grave walk this year. 
Uh, he, oh, wow. His, his friendship with Larry Prout is so yeah. awesome. Um, I mean, that's, that's the type of stuff that any reasonable person, again, like I said, you have to call a spade a spade. Quarterback play was a difference in the game. I get it. It's a high-stakes game. Michigan, you want to beat Ohio State 13 or 14 years. I get it. But, man, when the, when the you know, when the players are, are, are more supportive of each other than anybody else, and they're the ones who work all year long to win that game, and they're the ones that put, you know, the blood, the sweat on the line to win that game, and knowing – you know, I assume they probably, re- again, realize like, hey, we hit a few more of those passes or, you know, we don't throw that interception. We're probably going to win that game. They're still the first ones there to support him. And uh, so, you know, yeah, that's just the same old song and dance, though. Like I said, there's just a lot of really miserable, unhappy people out there that need feel like they need Michigan football to prop up their crappy life. And when Did you guys see that Michigan- one board poster on our site that was like, I'm sick of the media saying John O'Corn is a nice guy and a good guy. I need someone who's going to win games. Like that's like that's the epitome of what we're talking about. Like these, right? Just a totally clown take. Just like I, I, I mean, I'm dead. I mean, that's that's how I look at. It. I think it's just somebody who's just unhappy in general. Like, yeah, you know, and that's that's what their that's their reaction. Take it out on whoever they think was responsible. You know, I feel bad for their families during these games. I can only imagine the way they act. Um, you know, while it's actually taking place or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, again, like I said, like Isaiah said, it's okay to criticize. Like I said, we're the ones sitting here saying quarterback play was a difference in that game. I get it. Uh, Michigan blew the Michigan's coaches blew the game against Michigan state. We get it. You know, that those are facts that happens. This season was disappointing. That's a fact. You know, it's, it's just, it's the need to, you know, personally attack especially the kids i mean he's not really a kid he's he's kind of an adult now but you get what i'm saying though yeah well he's my age i'd be pissed like right right no and it would be really yeah and and they do sign up for it so i i think i think they get it as you said uh but it still irks me especially when i hear or see people commenting and saying well michigan fans are different they're more positive they're they're nicer it's like well you know Maybe maybe if you actually calculated a net average, they are, but there are still some major. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. To be with you. Well, I, and, I don't. And like, haven't we seen well, recruits get to. pulled? Haven't we, like recruits get pulled? And they're like, what's the most annoying fan base? And like Michigan's like sixth or something. So it's not like, like you know, it's just it, that irks me. I wrote my column on Sunday. I didn't even dare look at the comments on it to see if people agreed. But uh, <laughs> uh, about how Michigan's a quarterback away. I mean that they they were a very very good football team completely in that game. They just did not have a quarterback to to keep them in that game or to help them win at the end. Uh, I also one thing that just it's like not a not a big thing because it's it's obviously minuscule an eleven point loss. I didn't they they had called more passing plays than running plays and like I get that you kind of want to Ohio State's pass defense is their worst part and you maybe want to catch them off guard a little bit. But they were actually running the ball fairly well. I thought Chris Evans was on a on a mission, you know, and Karan Higdon looked pretty good too. And they called more running or more passing plays than running plays. It was like the first or second time all season they've done that. It was that that part like that's like such a small thing, but it was like you know you know what you have at corner or at quarterback. You have a third stringer who, you know, I'm not 
this isn't a personal attack on him, but I think they when they took him, I don't think they expected him to be necessarily starting against Ohio State. I think they were kind of hoping, you know, they were kind of thinking, well, maybe if he f- everything clicks for him, he's this high reward guy. But we're, yeah, I th- I think Michigan was kind of planning on using its own recruits more uh, as as the backup options. Anyway, like well, you knew what the, you had uh, with O'Corn. Why were why was he passing twenty times and run, only running the ball sixteen times? So, to your point, the uh, it's the old Woody Hayes quote. There's uh there's three things that yeah. can happen when you throw the ball, and two of them are bad. Right, right, and and I think he had shown all season that he had a higher propensity to do the latter two than the than the former. But that game is over. Uh, you know, we got got some news this week, and and we can run through it. I think we have five players that ha- that have announced they will be transferring uh, Big Ten awards this week. So we'll start. Uh, we can start with the the question that we had on on our show here at WTKA earlier today. You know, how do people feel about these transfers? We've seen. Spate, uh, Alex Malzone, Mo Ways, Drake Harris. Um, uh, who's the other guy that I'm missing? Maybe Jeraymond Hall. Um, you know, some some guys are leaving, and it seems I think it's catching people off guard a little bit because it's happening sooner. Uh, but that's a little bit of with the early signing day, and also I think you know Harbaugh kind of alluded to it in his podcast that this next month is really going to be about 2018. Last year, they were trying to win that bowl game, and they're trying to make it about the seniors. But I think this this next month is really about seeing who they have, what they have, heading into next year. So I'm curious what you guys think, uh, Steve. Uh, you know, I know you've you've been covering a lot of these guys that ended up transferring out: Drake Harris, Wilton Spate. Uh, these are guys that you've gotten to know over the years. I guess what what was your reaction to these? Are you surprised? Uh, do you think anything? I I don't. I don't think I think they're Michigan's doing the right thing here. I mean, they're telling these guys early on, here's where you stand. Uh, but what are your overall thoughts on on the recent transfers? Uh, no real, no major thoughts. I mean, I was, you know, I think I think all were expected personally, uh, and that includes Wilton. I think Michigan wants to move on, get younger at quarterback um, with Peters, obviously, and then. We'll see if we'll see next spring, next summer, if McCaffrey ate enough hamburgers to get himself yep. in the conversation <laughs> too. So, um, you know, I, that was my. I think Wilton, obviously, the most significant one. The other guy is not a surprise at all. Uh, ironically, three of the players, prospects that I grew closest to on the recruiting trail, they all just want to play, um, and that's there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with Michigan telling them it's probably not going to happen here. You may be better off going somewhere else. Um, this isn't processing. Melzone has his degree. I think the other two have their degrees as well, uh, or will. Um, you know, this is the them taking advantage of an NCAA rule for graduate transfer. Yeah. 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 So uh, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with that. Uh, the Hall situation, I'm not as educated on that one. Um, I would imagine it has to do with playing time. Uh, or future playing time. I don't think he was is a guy that's as up there as the other guys they recruited last cycle. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I know he like it's kind of in limbo right now, but I'd still be shocked if he stayed with the program. Um, 
my biggest takeaway right now, and it goes back to like, again, I know it's hard to ask these fans to have patience, but <laughs> I'm just reading their 2015 recruiting class right now. A lot of I misses, mean, right? Uh, and they and they only signed they only signed fourteen, 14 yeah. guys. You got Brian Cole gone. Gentry got something there. Kennel got something there. Newsom unfortunate because he'd probably be the best guy in the class bar none if he was healthy. Melzone transfer. Wheatley Jr. Hard not to call him a disappointment at this point. Johnson gone. Higdon probably the the easy pick. The gem. For, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ruben Jones hasn't made an impact yet. Grant Perry, up and down. Washington, gone. Runyon, minimal impact at best. Ulysio, got his chance, didn't do much with it. And then Andrew David, uh, who was Transferred. a 100 Well, yeah, he was a 100% hoax blunder, in my opinion. That was a really a bad... No offense to him at all. I don't. I shouldn't have even. Probably shouldn't have even said that. But <laughs> the like, way that I'll let you go. But <laughs> no, I mean it was just. I believe his family knows Hoke or something, and so uh, I think there was some favors done there. But um, so he's he's gone, you know. And so, I mean that's and again that's in a fourteen man class. So the bulkier guys are in their second year total on campus uh, or first, you know. And so. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest takeaway. It kind of just continues how, I mean, massive of a disappointment the 2015 class was, uh, you know, with, what, four four of these guys transferring, one being kicked off the team. Already, it's not even their fourth year yet. Right, and a bunch of other not making the impact that maybe we anticipated. Uh, I know Wheatley fought through some injuries and stuff this year, but... um, Man, his talent level is just tantalizing. I think it's a little bit of a disappointment. We haven't seen a little bit more of that. So don't look at um, 2014 either, by the way. Yeah, no, I was just going. I was There's just a couple hits, and, you know, Cole Peppers, and then I that's Win- Winovich, Palante, yeah, Jared Wangler, Ferns, uh, Marshall. Oh man, Ways, Harris, Kankeen. obviously, yeah. Well, bunting too at this point. I mean, he hasn't lived up to a guy who had 30 plus offers coming out of high school. Lawrence Marshall, I don't know, in the middle, I guess, like a guy I, I I'm I think most people think that he's probably going to be a fifth-year guy somewhere else, but he played a lot against Ohio State on Saturday and actually played all right. So, mm. you yeah. know, some pretty good plays. He had that, had that one big tackle for loss, I believe, if right. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, Isaiah. Isaiah, you you kind of have a have a pulse on on where, what the what the motive behind this is. My understanding is that this is Harbaugh saying, "Here is where you are on the depth chart. Here is where you stand. You are welcome to come back if you accept that." For for some of these guys, obviously, you know, others are you just kind of cut ties mutually and you you move on. But my understanding is he just like goes and he says, "Here's where you stand. Here are the people ahead of you. Here's what you would have to do to beat them out," and as Steve mentioned, I mean, can't really blame a guy for for wanting to go play more somewhere else, especially in your fifth year. I mean, you've given your, you've paid your dues, you got your degree, you know, you helped Michigan, and now you know your fifth year should be more of a fun year if it's if it's indeed your last year of football. So I guess, what do you think? And then also, uh, maybe may we don't need to speculate because it's a it is a free podcast. But do you anticipate 
a couple other players um, departing before this is all said and done. Well, we had some clues that some of these things were going to happen going into this past week or even the last couple of weeks, like uh, with Wilton. Pep Hamilton said both on the radio show with Brad Galley as well as the following uh, Wednesday, uh, a couple of days later, he, he had said that, you know, the hope was that they were going to be able to get Brandon Peters cleared to play. Obviously, he wasn't. He wasn't dressed. And uh, that they'd be able to finish out the season with two wins under his belt so that he could go go into the next season, you know, you know, on a winning streak and knowing what that feels like. That told you exactly what was going to happen with Spate right then and there, uh, that the idea was that Spate was, you know, even even if he was able to come back healthy, he probably wasn't going to be included in the mix, with whether it be for this Ohio State game or the bowl game. And obviously, they're looking at Peters going forward. That's why I kind of find it odd. There's been some, you know, speculation mostly by national media types saying like, well, Michigan just lost their starting quarterback. Where do they go from here? Yeah. Well, they already have their guy. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of national people that were saying, I do have a question to to add to what you're saying. Did Peters show that much? Uh, You're, you're closer into, into what, you know, the general vibe inside the locker room and the coaching staff is because Peters, I mean, he played what two and a half games or something of that nature. I mean, did he, did he show enough to, have them fully believe in him moving forward? I believe so. I think part of it is what they saw in practice on top of games. But in games, he he obviously showed an ability to move the ball downfield. That's something that he hadn't seen really since, you know, since that Purdue game. Uh, maybe you saw a little bit here and there. I, I think John O'Corn played well against Penn State. But you know, really Michigan was lacking that they weren't asking him to do a ton, but where he really was able to step up was when he started to be able to get those, those reps with the ones in practice. And that's when he started to really show things. That's one of those things that we've obviously talked about for quite some time was, you know, we always said that Peters wasn't ready yet. And he wasn't ready yet. Be careful what you wish for. is not ready yet. Well, you hear a lot of people that were really upset when he was able to move the ball when he was asked to because they're like, well, where was this all season? Why didn't we play him? Well, he wasn't ready yet until he was ready. And when he was ready, he did the most with his opportunity, which is what you hope for. Uh, so I I think going forward, there's nothing really to worry about unless there's some kind of regression. But as long as he continues to progress the way that he has been, Michigan's got something there. I think you've seen enough from him to show that he makes good reads, you know, much like we talked about Spate doing. There, I, I can't recall a pass that, except for maybe one or two out of the 50-some that Peters ended up taking that was like, ooh, what are you doing there, man? Pretty much all of them were, you know, all right, you're, make, you're reading the right guy, you're making the right read, you, you're, and you're delivering it to him as best as you possibly can. Still had a couple, you know, a couple overthrows here and there, but for a second-year guy, I thought he showed you a lot of promise there. Uh, as far as the other transfers and everything, Drake Harris was kind of the same thing. Harbaugh said a couple weeks ago uh, when asked why, you know, if we were going to start seeing him at wide receiver now that he, uh, you know, made the switch to cornerback before the season, made the switch right before the Indiana game back to wide receiver. He just said the best players. 
you know, we're going to play. It's a meritocracy. Yeah. So that kind of shows you where he stood in, in that light. Michigan has a ton of young talent there. Obviously, you don't oh, I didn't have anyone that was like truly separating yet. Yeah, you saw some promise from Tariq Black early in the season. Donovan Peoples-Jones really seemed like he was – he had everything that you wanted to see except for getting the ball in his hands on it. <laughs> you know, in those some of those deep throws. Uh, it's kind of similar to the holding thing uh, with the defensive lineman. I, I don't know what you do when you're getting held as much as he seems to be getting held uh, on some of those plays. Because if, if you're a defense and you can get away with it, why not just hold him and keep him from getting the ball? That's kind of been how he's been defended a lot this year. But, uh, you know, between those two, Nico Collins, when he's back healthy, Oliver Martin – They've got a really good young receiving core, so it makes sense that he wouldn't be, you know, be back. They gave Mo Way some chances this year. He was in a bit more than I even thought he was going to be, and you know, they only gets uh, three catches for seven total yards. That's not really what you want to see from a fourth-year guy, guy that had as much promise as a lot of people thought he did coming in. Got compared a lot to Braylon Edwards due to his body type and his weight and athletic ability, but just really wasn't able to put it together on the field. That always kind of disappointing and you know Malzone just really a career scout team guy uh it's it's not surprising that these are guys that are moving on do I think there are probably a few more coming I would would bank on it I don't I'm not gonna just say who I think might be right because you right, never know right. no we don't need but, to do that but yeah but yeah there's there's definitely I'd, I'd imagine some of these guys that haven't been they haven't been really big contributors that are probably not going to get offered their fifth years. Yeah, I can think of so three. It makes sense that in they would head. want to go. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some there's some tweeners there too that you you wonder like, you know, are they going to are, are have players like Jawan Bushel Beatty? Has he played his way into a you know a fifth year? You know that that's going to be you know same with like Steve mentioned Ian Bunting. That's another one like as he you know he showed enough last year to get the the dot off the bench once Jake Putt went down and he clearly wasn't an option uh, at tight end compared to Gentry and McCune. So what do you do with some of those guys that are contributors? You know, Bush Beatty seemed to be settling in really well before he went out with injury against Ohio state. But what do you do with some of those guys? That's the big question that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, how I said it on air today was just, you know, you tell them where they're going to be. If they say, yes, I want to fight and scratch and claw to, to ascend up the depth chart, then you keep them. Or if they say, I'm just ready to help the team. That's one thing. But if they want to play and if they don't like what they hear, uh, I don't think there's any reason to, stay i you know and, and sometimes i sometimes having a young person who's motivated who who really you know who still thinks they can make the nfl who still thinks they can make a starting lineup and not to say that they can't but you know still has a little bit more of a sense of uh almost na- naivety like like you know, that sense of optimism maybe that helps your locker room more than than a s- senior who has seen seen it all before or something of that nature uh anyway so, uh, oh shoot, I wrote down recruiting. Um, but Steve, with these with these transfers, I mean, they're obviously gearing up for for signing day, and they're also trying to uh, 
showcase their young players. I guess what 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 is your reaction from a recruiting perspective? And I mean, I assume most people understand this, but the national. I just heard one national radio host in particular act like Michigan doesn't have control of its quarterbacks room because of this. I mean, what is the reaction from? I, do you think most people get this and understand this, or do you think they have to go tell some of these recruits, um, "Hey, this is this is why we do this." The national media is so uneducated about recruiting that it's it's insane. I mean, you go back to the Teddy Greenstein crap on Eric Swenson a couple of years ago. Uh, the national media has no understanding of how recruiting works. It's actually kind of amazing, in my opinion, when you consider how important recruiting is to a college football program that big national names literally like have no clue what's going on. Um, they, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess, you know, parents and the kid may, may have some questions. Michigan will have very easy answers for them. Uh, this doesn't affect, you know, if the, this fifth year, this doesn't affect recruiting. The only thing I, my reaction is that, okay, well it opens up a few more spots for him this cycle. Like that's really the only thing. That's the first thing I think when this happens, uh, the fifth year stuff happens everywhere. Um, uh, I think I, in a way, not going all like, you know, Harbaugh's the best or anything like that. I just think, I do think Michigan goes about it the best way possible, though, at least in this instance. Um, they're honest with the kids. They're straightforward with them and say, hey, you know, your best chance to play next year would probably be somewhere else. And uh, here's why. Here's here's the depth chart. Here's the snap count from this year. And, uh, you know, so... It, it does, though. It, it, the funniest thing, it does, it amazes me how ineducated the, the national media is as far as recruiting goes. Uh, they should try to educate themselves because it's a very, very important part of how a program is built. So, um, well, you know, I, I, their I'm audience is learning impl- it. Why shouldn't they? Yeah. I, right. Yeah. I'm assuming they're impli- they were implying because of Spate leaving. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, and no. I think they said Melzo. This was one guy who was a noted hot take artisan and he was like they lost another quarterback and it was like this guy is never yeah yeah yeah. see that yeah i mean losing malzone is is not really a loss um alex wants to play it's not going to be at michigan and he knows that he's comfortable with it that's kind of the funny that's kind of the ironic thing uh the players themselves are comfortable with these decisions um, but people want to be uncomfortable for yeah. them yeah. to create a controversy, <laughs> just to create a controversy or to create a hot, you know, I mean, we've dealt with that and everything. Michigan's an easy lightning rod for mm-hmm. uh, criticism just because Harbaugh is very, uh, he's out there a lot. So it's very easy to create reaction from those same Michigan fans that probably send players nasty messages after a loss, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, they're very easy to, I'd say Michigan fans are very easy to manipulate um, <laughs> in that re- well, you know, that's what I mean though. Why do you think Feinbaum always brings up Michigan? It's not because he really feels that way most of the time. It's because he knows it's going to get a huge, anything Michigan related as the SEC guy is going to get massive reaction, uh, both from the SEC fans who hate Harbaugh and from the Michigan fans who, you know, will, you know, love Harbaugh with, with all their heart. So, uh, it's, it's, pretty simple game in that regard most people a lot of people i don't know but a lot of people still don't realize that so um 
but yeah, now national media doesn't know crap about recruiting, like even the basics, you know, mm-hmm. which that's why this stuff that's, yeah, that's why you hear stuff like that. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. We are going to, uh, we're going to figure out what we want to do with recruiting in this podcast. Uh, obviously the, our website grew up with recruiting. Um, but now, I mean, you know, we have paying customers, so we'll figure out, we'll figure out what sort of stuff we should be doing as far as a weekly recruiting segment. Cause now we're in the off season. Uh, we lose our game preview segment. Didn't hurt us today. We're over an hour 15, but, um, but we'll figure something out as for, for now, we're going to close up the show and next week we're going to have a, a fun show. We're really excited about, we're going to do position grades. We're going to do season superlatives. Uh, we're it's just going to be kind of almost like a lightning round round table kind of deal. Uh, we did them before the season and people seem to really like them. So we'll bring them back. But for now, I do want to hear what you guys think. Uh, your final thoughts on the season it can be a stump speech. It can be a couple things that stand out to you. It can be uh, your your one or two or three key takeaways. But your final thoughts on the season: eight and four didn't beat a team with a winning record. Also, didn't you know had had injuries, had some issues with turnover and youth. Uh, just your thoughts. We'll start with you, Isaiah. Well. I think that, you know, there's reasons to be optimistic. And I know that you've, you, you know, you hear the the crowd decrying the wait until next year of it all people. But at the same time, you know, this next, you know, this next year, you're finally going to start to see what it looks like when you have some experience in an, a Jim Harbaugh coach team. And I'm when I say that, I don't mean like last year where he was coaching with a lot of talent, but they're, you know, inexperienced players, but they were, not players that he recruited. Now you're going to see, uh, you're going to see so many of these players start to get even better because they have more time in the system. Especially you look at the the defense, they lose a huge piece in in Mohurst, uh, and you know a really big piece in Mike McRae. But th- they've got so much talent returning. Particularly, I look at like Lavert Hill and David Long, who. Basically, by the end of the year, no one was even throwing at either of them, and with good cause. And, you know, you've got players like Rashawn, and we'll see what happens with Chase if he decides to come back or not. But not only some of those, you know, players that were second-year players this year, but even you, you look at the fact there was like 15 or so true freshmen played again this year. These guys are going to be even better next year, considering that again they'll have had a bit more experience and it ever. Everything to me this year was kind of a, a gravy year in the sense of what you know what as long as you were able to get to basically where they were, yeah. It's a, I'd say the fact that they went eight and four instead of nine and three or ten and two is disappointing, but they were in every all but one game this entire season. Uh, if you don't have injuries, it, especially at the quarterback position, who knows how this season would have looked? I think the fact that they were eight and four despite. Having you know had so much turmoil when it came to the roster, I think is pretty exemplary in my opinion, and lots of reasons for optimism going forward, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, you heard the argument again from some of the hot take artists saying that well, if Michigan couldn't prepare John O'Corn, a fifth-year guy, their third stringer, to be ready for Ohio State, then he's clearly not capable of developing. Blah blah blah. Yeah you're going to be seeing a, a bit of a different scenario going forward because now you've got 
if Brandon Peters goes down, then you've got Dylan McCaffrey. If Dylan McCaffrey goes down, then you've got Kevin Doyle or Joe Milton. You're going to have the guys that he hand-selected to be at the position that are not supposed to be, you know, well, I guess we can play him if, you know, if absolutely need be. They'll have, they'll have some actual bodies there that, that play the way that he's essentially deemed to be how he expects a, a quarterback to, to look. And that should that type of thing across a position should pay dividends going forward. It, it won't be this kind of ragtag, patch them up type of team like it's kind of been the last couple of years. We're going to start to finally see the consistency in what this particular staff had envisioned when they got here. And to me, that's exciting. All right, Steve, your turn. Um, so this season was a disappointment, but then I also say like both things can be true. This season can be a disappointment, but it also can be also a clear indicator that the best days of this program under Harbaugh are definitely ahead. You know, I think it can be both things. Um, you know, each of their four losses, you know, Michigan State was the game they gave away. Penn State was the dud. Wisconsin was the, well, it kind of went the way we thought it was going to go game. And then Ohio State was sort of the, you know, I don't want to say controversial. I wouldn't go that far. But the uh, maybe slipped away too, sort of like Michigan State. And I know that those two games being in that in that same vein are probably, you know, if you'd asked a fan at the beginning of the season, that's the worst possible case scenario. So, um, so I can see it's a disappointment in that regard. Again, I go back to what I said about the Ohio State game. Michigan completely outcoached Ohio State for the second straight season. I think that's a great indicator that once Michigan gets the roster to the where to where they want it, um, that they're easily going to be able to stand toe to toe with that program, uh, regardless of how you know the recruiting rankings uh, year in and year out. You know, I'm I'm a recruiting is important guy. I think Michigan's done more than a good enough job to um, offset the ranking, the slight ranking advantage that Ohio State's had. I mean, they've been recruiting some really really great players. They always will, though. Um, I just think Michigan's recruiting at a more than high enough level to offset that, I guess. Especially, like I said, you see what they've done the last two years in that game. We just talked about what where the 14 and 15 classes are, and Michigan still very, very easily could have won the last two years. Um, I think it, if you can take that outlook on things, I think there's no reason not to be super optimistic. So, um, you know, it'll come down – but it'll come down to what it always comes down to. It comes down to quarterback play. Uh, you know, can Brandon Peters walk in and take that first step forward? Uh, starting the first se- starting the season in South Bend will be a great first test in that regard. Uh, Mike Elko's done a really good job turning around Notre Dame's defense for the most part, um, and I'm sure they'll be good again next year. So, you know, that'll be a really interesting, good litmus test for him how he develops this off season. Again, assuming he's a starter. I think he will be, um, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's my takeaway. I, I think, I think it's fair to be disappointed, but I also think it's unfair to not be optimistic. Um, okay. Yeah. I see defensively. That. I mean, come on, man. I mean, what, you know, they look what they have at cornerback. Uh, look what they have in the defensive line. Like they lost two. you know, Channing Stribling was an all big 10 level player. And then Jordan Lewis was, 
an All-American and was one of the best corners that's ever played at Michigan. And you could argue Michigan's pass defense was better this year. Um, now, was it? did it fail them in certain instances? Yeah, but it was more on the safeties. I think the safeties are still going to be the big question mark next year, uh, particularly in one-on-one coverage. You know, uh, teams are going to probably still pick on them in that regard. But, man, you look at the roster top to bottom, and it's hard not to not just not just think that there's reason for optimism, but that a lot of these positions are kind of set for the foreseeable future. Um, and that's how you build a foundation. That's what Michigan's kind of in the midst of doing right now. So, um, so yeah, that's my takeaway. Well, I I you know went back and looked at kind of what a lot of people predicted. I think all three of us predicted ten and two, but we all included the caveat, and I think we all predicted different uh, surprising wins they would have. But the, we all had the caveat like, as long as Michigan overachieves, this is what's going to happen. And and I think I don't think Michigan overachieved, but I also don't think they underachieved. I think they just achieved. And so yeah. and 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 you know, and then when you factor in that you did lose a quarterback, that's probably I think if Brandon Peters or Wilton Spate plays against Michigan State, I think Michigan wins. And and you can fault the coaches if you want, but I think I think if they beat Michigan State, we're looking at a nine and three team. And I don't think anyone's complaining about anything. They they lost to three top ten teams, two of them on the road, and that's that's just it is what it is. Because if you look historically, you know last season's team, they had like twenty guys who were in their third season of being on the two deep, and they had like four this year, and and a couple of them had really good seasons. Mason Cole, Mo Hurst. I know some people gripe about Mike McRae. Um, and then I'm trying to. I think I think uh, Patrick Kugler was the only other guy who had been in the two deep for more than even a season, and a lot of guys were in it for the first time. So, yeah, I mean, you can you can look at it how you want. I don't. I, I still think it was a, a little disappointing that they didn't they didn't snag one of the wins that they weren't supposed to get. I think that's a sign of. You know, maybe maybe it's not going to be quite as magical, you know, because a, a year ago people were thinking, oh, you know, Michigan's going to win multiple titles under Harbaugh. You know, I think I think you do have to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, well, it's not he's not at not every player is going to magically get good, and I don't I don't know if there's really a coaching staff where that is the case because what what does Alabama do right now? I mean, there aren't there aren't necessarily three stars coming through Alabama that are turning into these, you know, like Chase Winovich, Mo Hurst, both three-star recruits. It's not like Alabama's got these three stars that are bursting onto the scene. No, their top guys are are the guys who everyone knew was going to be a top guy. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm 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 a little bit, you know, cuz I think everyone knew 2018 was going to be a good season. I, I don't think anyone I don't think anyone was um saying I I don't think they're going to be good. I I think that's always been there. So, as far as like things that I learned uh, I think, I think that uh, injuries hurt. That's a pretty pretty sound lesson. That the quarterback position, even even in Harbaugh's love of fullbacks, tight ends, running backs, I think that's that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but the bottom line is Michigan will get better at every single position except maybe tackle, maybe left tackle, uh, may, right tackle. They might not get better. It might just be a push. And quarterback, we just don't know. Out of the 45 positions, or 48 positions, if you know, counting special teams and in, in, on the team, if they're getting better at 41 of them, 
that is a really, really promising sign for next season. Um, so we'll have a lot more on, on, on position groups, uh, different things here and, here and there, the superlatives, best moments, biggest disappointments, biggest surprise, uh, maybe some fun awards too. We'll have that all next week. It'll be a podcast exclusively devoted to that. But for today, that's going to do it. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. It was a long one, but hopefully you listened through all the way to the end. Uh, obviously, check out all of our stories, 247sports.com, themichiganinsider.com, uh, however you want to get there. I think all your bookmarks will still work. So be sure to check out all of our stories. Lots to come with basketball and hockey and recruiting as well. Uh, fun never stops at our site, so be sure to check it out. Anyway, for Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole, I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time.